Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of work workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY hi my name is jonathan the founder of gateway to freedom our next workshop is coming up july 26th through the 28th in florida just outside sunny orlando space is limited so call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY to register that's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. My name is Jonathan, and uh, we've got a special guest on the line with us. Uh, we've got Josh Blazer, and so, Josh, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And in a minute, I'm going to let you give a little bit more of kind of your story and who you are and what you do and all of that, but um, I, I was I was really pleased that we were able to connect at the uh, Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit earlier this year in Atlanta. Um, and I'd also love at some point, maybe even during our conversation, to get just kind of your feedback on on that time together and being able to be part of that um, that event. Yeah. Um, but we we love to we love to br- bring people on the program, Josh, that just kind of have a have a similar heartbeat in terms of of what we think about ministry, how we want to approach it, um, really coming from a grace based paradigm. And I, I just felt like when you and I were able to connect at the at the Sills conference, uh, I just felt kind of a kindred spirit. Like, hey, you know what? We've we've been not only personally kind of in the same uh, on the same journey, but then even professionally, we've kind of had similar, um, you know, kind of some similar environments in which we've been been working. And so I was so glad to meet you. And I'm excited to be able to introduce you to our audience so they can learn a little bit more about you, but, but also what you've been doing in this space of recovery ministry. So yeah. why don't you just take a few minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what your background has been, how you got into this kind of ministry, and, and a little bit more about what you guys are doing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I came to this ministry like a lot of people do for myself first. I was uh, I graduated from... Uh, college and I loved Jesus. I, I, I wanted to serve him. I was actually uh, set up to be a missionary overseas and, and uh, I was literally like on track to, to head over to East Asia. And I, one morning I was in church and I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you there next year. And I think the next year was just because if he had said ever, I would have freaked out, but uh, I freaked out enough as it was. And anyway, long story short, I, I deferred missions work for a year. And then in the course of the next few months, um, was talking to a, a Christian brother of mine. I, I had struggled with sexual sin since I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, that was when I first it was exposed to pornography and uh, masturbation, and and it took on a life of its own over the next decade plus. And even as a Christian, I had this this on the one hand, I had this you know this spiritual life that was alive, and I I truly did love Jesus. On the other hand, I had this this secret problem 
And in college, I had run across this passage in James, James 5.16, where, where James says, confess your sins to one another. And uh, tried to wriggle my way out of that, find some translation that didn't really mean confess your sins to one another. You know, maybe confess your sins. In, yeah. but, right. uh, so I'd begun talking to Christian brothers about what I was struggling with and found just great relief and not being alone with it. But I wasn't really getting better. And so after deferring the, uh, the missions work for a year, in the next few months, I, I discovered this ministry called Regeneration. One of those same Christian brothers said, you should check this place out. So I, I called him up and kind of reluctantly showed up in a meeting and, um, and just fell in love with what was happening here. It was um, a ministry that was, as you said, so full of grace. And uh, I was just really overwhelmed with how much of the, the love that I knew Jesus had for me in general, he still had for me in the area of sexuality and wanted to walk with me out of that. So this place was a lifeline for me. And then a few years after that, uh, they were hiring and um, I started working with them and, and um, I've been there ever since. So that was in 2000. I'm sorry, 1999 is when I came on staff here. So I've been uh, 20 years, 20 years. Wow. And I lead the ministry. So really grateful for it. That's great. And I would love, I'd love for us to kind of dive into the, just what the process looks like. I mean, first of all, for, you know, kind of how the, the, the process of recovery, um, maybe how you came into it and then how you came to understand it. Cause I, I don't know if you see this a lot in your ministry. We see it a ton in our ministry where guys will come into, into an environment with, uh, you know, for recovery and they got a lot of preconceived notions about what that process is supposed to look like. And then when they discover what the process is actually like, at least what I believe the process is meant to be, it's usually a very different picture. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you had sent me some notes earlier before we actually got on the air. And I, I, I really love kind of how you reframe what the recovery goal is really all about. And so I'd love for you to talk about that first from kind of your own personal perspective of what were your expectations coming into recovery and then how did they transform? And then talk a little bit about what you now see as the true goal of recovery, maybe versus what you had thought of before. Yeah, sure. So I, I literally remember the, my, my first night sitting down in this room. And so I, t- I expected two things. One, I expected that I'd, I would walk into this room and there would be, um, you know, guys in, in trench coats, very <laughs> seedy characters around the room. But they were guys like me. They looked like guys that went to, that went to my church. And, um, and we, you know, some were married, some were single, some were older, some were younger, lots of different ethnicities. Um, not all exactly the same sexual struggles, but, but so much more in common than, than what was different. And uh, so that was the, fir- the first expectation. But I remember the, that first night telling the guy that led the group, I said, hey, look, I've got work to do for the Lord. So tell me what I need to do. I'll get in and out of here and then I'll get on with my life. And the way, the way that I'd, I'd frame it up today is what I, what I thought was, you know, here, here's my relationship with Jesus. It's, it's just, you know, it's a good thing, but I've got this one small area of my life that's not working. And so let's get that cleaned up and everything else will be fine. And what I started to find out through the process of recovery was that this one little thing actually had roots that went into my whole life. And it, it, it wasn't just one sidecar issue. It was connected to how I saw myself, how I saw God, despite what my theology would tell me about God. I, I, something in my, my head was not connected with my heart, my view of him, how I saw other people, how I saw men, how I saw women. Um, 
so that all, you know, just like the, you know, everything started getting uprooted and I started uh, realizing that so much of my life was connected this, this one area of struggle. And, um, and in order for the Lord to get at those things, I needed to let him uproot so much more of, of what was there. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would echo that. I think one of the things that, that I came into my own recovery with and that I see so many other men come into their recovery with is what I kind of call a, a fix-it mentality. Yeah. Like, what I'm coming in is because I realize that I've got this problem and I see it as a problem that needs to be fixed, right? So if I can just kind of get in and get my tune up, you know, do whatever you got to do, change the carburetor, whatever. It's like, yeah, exactly. get me tuned up, then I can really kind of get back to what I was intending to do with my life. And what I'm hearing you say is, and as anybody who eventually gets into what I call true recovery, they realize, oh, we're talking about more than just a problem to be fixed. We're talking about a paradigm to be shifted. Yeah. Like there has to be a completely different foundational understanding that I have to have of what this quote unquote problem is really all about in my life. And so how yeah. would you maybe unpack that in, in how it maybe happened in your own life and then also what you guys do in ministry to help people get beyond that kind of just fix it mentality or that idea that I just have this one little area that needs work and then everything else will be fine. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, the, the, the problem is a love problem and it starts with an, an inability to receive love from God and from other people. And so if I can't, if there's something in my life that's blocking my capacity to receive God's love and other people's love, then, and I'm, and I'm designed as a human being for love then I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go looking somewhere that I could experience the closest thing to love that I can find. And for me and for so many other people I know, that's sex. It's some, some form of sexual acting out. Um, sex by God's design is, a, is an expression of love. I mean, that Jesus' words on the cross when he said, or sorry, Jesus' words in, in the Last Supper when he said, this is my body given for you. Um, those are those are the words that are manifested in the in the marriage bed when a husband and a wife are together giving themselves fully to each other it's as if they're saying to each other this is my body this is my whole life given for you and and in that marital embrace what's meant to take place is that it's meant to be a, a sacrificial giving of oneself to the other and then the other is meant to receive that gift and so there's but without that ability to both give and receive love um, that's where it goes sideways and so um, so it starts with beginning to receive love. And so that was one of the paradigm shifts for me was when I, in this accountability group, um, and, and I don't even like to use that phrase anymore, accountability group, because I think there's so many, so much of our misunderstanding about what this is comes in there. Like I thought accountability was, you know, if, if I have to tell you what I did, that's going to feel so embarrassing, so shameful. That's going to be my motivator to stop it. It's going to be the pain of having to tell you. And, and not that that's not a motivator. Certainly it is but it is a much less powerful motivator than the motivator of love. And so here, here's a story I, I remember very clearly. I came into my, um, my group one week. I'd had a, a in, from my estimation, I had a really rough week. And I, I, my week went something like this. I, I left the meeting the previous Tuesday, driving home, and I started to feel tempted. And so this is pre having a cell phone. So I pull over to the side of the road and I, I find a, a phone booth and I call one of the guys in my group and I say, Hey, I'm really tempted. Would you pray for me? He prays for me. I get back on the road, but the temptation continues to come. And I pray, Lord, help me. I'm just, I'm just leaving my support group for crying out loud. Help. Make it home, go to sleep, 
wake up the next day, make it through the day. Later that week, the temptation comes back. I call another guy in my group. I continue to pray. Um, but somewhere towards the end of the week, I end up just giving up. And I find some pornography. I look at it. And I act out. So I come back to my group the following week. And I'm confessing this to my group leader. It's my group. Here's how my week went. And I'm confessing it with my tail between my legs and my head bowed down. And Guys, I really screwed up this week. This is what I did. And I, you know, share what I just shared with you. My group leader looks across the table at me, and this is his response. His, like, just big smile on his face. And he says, Josh, way to go. Way to go this week. And I said, what, what are you talking about? Did you, did you hear I failed? I failed. He said, listen to all the good things that you did. And he starts listing these, these ways that I fought the battle during the course of the week. Um, and I still, I said, you don't understand. It doesn't matter. All of it was for, for not. It didn't, yeah. it didn't, I failed at the end of the week. And his response was, was basically some of the effect of, do you think that God only sees that 15, 20 minutes of failure and he doesn't see all the other efforts you did throughout the course of the week? I said, well, uh, you know, kind of having it on. And then, he, and then he said this to me. He said, he said where, where do you think all that effort came from? All those attempts to do better. And I was still, you know, just so shameful and negative. I said, well, it didn't come from me. You know, I mean, I, my good Christian answer, obviously that was the right. Lord. And his response again was, he said, he said, that's right. He's like, the Lord is alive in you, Josh, and it's evident. And I, I just, you know, again, it, it was just, it was, it was kind of turning this whole thing upside down because from my perspective, there's just one thing that mattered, whether I was doing right or wrong in those, in those moments of temptation. I couldn't see any of the good that God was doing. What he was describing was what Paul talks about in Romans 8, the first fruits of this salvation. And as I began to, to receive two things, one was faith that, you know what, there, is, there are first fruits in my life, and I can actually rejoice in those. That actually began to feed victory. Like, I'm having victories. I, it's not all or nothing. I'm having victories, and I can begin to receive those, and I can trust that God is, is proud of me and happy about those things too. And the corollary to that is to begin to receive that God isn't just kind of waiting somewhere in heaven for me to screw up. He's not just far right. away. From, you're going to make it? You're going to make it? You're going to make it? He's actually right there. He's rooting for me. He's looking across the table like my group leader was, smiling, saying, way to go. And that began to, to it, my head theology about, for God so loved me while yet a sinner, began to, I began to experience that more in my heart. And that's where things really began to change for me. Yeah, and I think some of what you're describing is, is just the importance of being able to um, move beyond merely behavioral focus in yeah. recovery. Because I think what tends to happen is, we look only at that line of acting out, right? We call it baseline behaviors or whatever. We don't, we, we're totally so focused on that line of behavior that in many ways it begins to reduce our humanity. It reduces oh, us down yeah, to yeah, a yeah. single, like I'm a one-dimensional person that everything about my life is focused only on this one particular line of behavior. And I think it's a very... Um, it's a, we strip dignity, I believe, from our humanity when we do that and say, basically, your worth and your value is dictated by how you do on this line. And what I love what you're describing is your group leader and this, this, this group of men was beginning to really also breathe dignity back into your humanity, being an image bearer of God and saying, do you realize, Josh, that you are by God's design, a multifaceted human being with all kinds of aspects to your personality and your being and your intellect and your emotional self and spiritual. 
And what happened in that entire week did not hinge on just that one moment of that line of behavior. Like the thoughts that you had and the, the, the wrestling that was going on in your soul and your spirit and, and all of those things were actually part of what I would actually put into the category of growth. Like you were actually, you were actually in a process of growth there. And if we get so focused on that line of behavior, we, the blinders go on and we completely miss seeing what God is doing in all of those other aspects of our, of our being. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, is hone in a little bit more on this idea of, of love. And what I would love for you to do is, is first of all, help us understand what you are thinking of when you are saying that, because that's a word that gets tossed around so much in our world and in our culture and it can have a thousand different meanings attached to it that it, it's almost like something can be so used that it almost loses its value and its meaning. And so when you're talking about like the goal of recovery being love, or this is a love issue that we're talking about, not merely a sex or a behavioral issue, help us understand what you mean by that and how you would help a guy coming into recovery to understand, well, what is, that feels very, um, you know, fluffy. It kind of feels like, where's the handlebars on that? What do, what do I actually do? How do I pursue that in a yeah. tangible way? Yeah. So again, it, it, be, it has to begin with God's love for us. We love because he first loved us. It can never be the other way around. And I think so much of what you were just describing about this performance mentality underneath all of that is this, is a, is a, again, whatever your theology is underneath all that is this hidden true belief that says, unless I do this well, I will not be lovable. And so as we, even in our muck, in our mire, in our failures, in our slips, our falls, receive God's love, begin to receive God's love. And I think initially we do that, but one of the ways we initially do that is through other, the faces and, and responses of other people. And it was a leap of faith to, to listen to this guy across the room and think, I think I'm going to trust him. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to dare to believe that he knows something I don't. He's got some years on my recovery. Um, and, and I, you know, what I've been doing has not been working. And so let me dare to believe that God actually does forgive me. He loves me right now. Um, and then from there, I think part of what we begin to do is, is compare and contrast love and lust. And so, you know, some simple definitions that I, I like that I've picked up from other people along the way. Um, love is self-giving. It's self-donation. It's self-sacrifice. It's me giving myself to you. And like, obviously the the clearest expression of that is Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. This is him giving himself fully for us. Um, lust on the other hand is self-seeking. It's uh, I'm taking from you at your expense and not even for a really good reason, but just for my own selfish gratification. So I can feel good in this moment. So I can feel better for myself on some, uh, you know, on a physical level. So I can feel physical pleasure on a deeper level. So I can feel maybe so not, I'm not, I don't feel so alone. I don't feel um, I can, I can, you know, medicate my pain from the day, whatever it might be. But um, those two in, in contrast to each other are so stark and so different. And I think so much of what we call love in our culture today, really what we mean, I think when a lot of us say, I, you know, I love you or I love this or I love that, I think what a lot of us mean is I feel affection for you. And so when I say my kids or when I move to say to my wife, I love you, what I'm saying is in this moment, I feel affection for you. But, but that is not the clearest expression of love. That's, that's a, a, you know, a feeling. And, um, and not that there's, there's not, I think Pope John Paul II called that kind of thing as the, the raw material of love. 
but it's an immature love. And, and, uh, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got five kids and with each one of them, there are moments where, where their will is crossing our will and they're, you know, you have to go to your room, you have to obey. And there are times where for, for most of them, they'll, they'll yell out as little kids, like, I hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hard to hear, but, but really what they're, what they're, they're living at this kind of this, this very surfacey level about love. You know, I love you when I feel affection for you and, um, and I don't love you when I don't. And that's, but we don't want to be stuck there. And God doesn't want us stuck there. He wants us to grow in love. And so, um, our, our, our model is always Christ. We want to learn to love like he does. We want to learn to see as he sees lust just sees, you know, and as long as you're attractive, as long as you make me feel good, then I'm for you. But if you don't, I'm going to click away from this image. I'm going to turn away from you. I'm going to turn to somebody else. Um, and that's not training in love. It's, it's just the opposite. So yeah, let's start there. Yeah. And I love, I love how that begins to create a whole different kind of frame for what we're actually aiming for in recovery, because that's a completely different picture than simply a behavior modification that says, just don't cross this line. Because if you think about it, a lot of the behavior modification stuff can actually probably unintentionally, but still feed my self-seeking. Feed my, it still, it keeps all the focus on me because it's like, Hey, it's about me and me not doing this behavior and, and me and basically using all of you to keep me from doing this behavior. When you flip that around and you say, no, no, what this group environment is all about is love. Then you start having people that are sacrificing self for one another. And one of the things I love to do when guys come into a new group environment is from the very start, help them to realize that they are immediately bringing value to the group by their presence. In other words, start to get them outside of thinking that they stepped into a group where they're kind of going to become a leech where it's like, now I just need to suck off of you guys and get, get what I need for my recovery. Instead, it's like, no, no, we want you to see that your presence here was a divine appointment that we need you. We actually need your presence here because of what you're going to be able to offer to us. And, and then obviously we have things that we can offer to, to you. That's and we beautiful. kind of put it in this framework of heal, grow, serve. And like that serve piece is kind of what you're talking about. What's the ultimate aim where we're saying, is it really just about me not acting out ever again in my life? For one thing, if that's your goal, then you're going to be sorely disappointed uh, <laughs> along the way because you're not going to, you're, you're probably going to still be wearing all of your shame. Because uh, I remember, just to give a little side story here, I went 107 straight days in my recovery when I first entered recovery, when I really entered recovery, without acting out. And I had this mindset of like, hey, true recovery is you don't act out. Well, then day 108 came. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was like, crash, burn. And I remember going to my counselor and same thing like you, you know, tail between my legs, head dragged and had to tell him what was going on. And I remember him giving me the, um, the analogy of, of a, a baby learning to walk. And he says, there's never been a child on earth that has ever learned to walk without lots of stumblings along the way. But he, he reminded me, he said, was the goal for that child to never stumble or was that goal of that child to learn how to walk? And it was like, oh, and now to put that in kind of the language that you're talking about is the goal 
of recovery that you simply never act out or is the goal of recovery that you learn how to love well? Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. Now, so I'm going to, let me just change genres here for a minute. I think as a, as a parent, this is one, I think one of the ways that, that, that we just see that we've been fed this kind of stuff for, for years. So I think parents so often when we're trying to teach our Christian kids how to live the way we want them to live. We kind of focus in on virginity, stay a virgin, stay pure until you're married. But even that phrase, stay, stay pure. I mean, first of all, you don't want to stay pure until you're married. You want to, you want to stay because that, that already suggests then that, that sex is automatically impure. Right. And then secondly, if you, if you say you want to stay pure until married, that means, so after you're married, it's okay if you're impure because somehow God allows it. Just as a distorted thinking about sex, um, mar- marital sex specifically. But I think one of the problems with that is then it's this all or nothing thinking. And it's not, it's not a very robust vision for our kids. And there are so many Christian kids who either would attest to, I already messed up. And so I might as well just keep messing up. And I think most people have struggled with any type of addiction, recognize that kind of thinking. I certainly do. Or, or they do remain virgins until they're married. And then they get married and find out that, that married sex and marriage in general is a lot harder than they thought. And staying a virgin until they're married did not actually equip them for marriage, did not actually equip them for a healthy sex life. That, that's an inadequate view. And so we want to, we want to create, as parents, we want to create a more robust vision for our kids. Like, look, the, the goal is for you to learn to love well. Like, what does real love look like? How do I learn to love like that? And so if I can, if, I, if that's our goal for our kids, then if they do well, if they remain virgins till they're married, like they still have a lot of work they can be doing in the process. And if they don't, well, the, the, the game is not over. The, the goal is not up. You're like, what well, can you learn from this? So that you can learn to grow in love as, as, as God loves. And I think the same thing applies in, in recovery. Um, here, so here's another, I think it, another way that we can express this. So many people, men and women who are recovering from pornography addiction or sexual addiction of some kind, get so focused on trying to avoid temptation. And, and the problem with that is that if you listen to some people that the way they talk about temptation, what they really mean is not temptation, but people. Like I'm trying yeah. to avoid temptation. Oh man, it's summertime. There's so much temptation out there. Well, no, the, the temptation, according to James, is not out there. It's in here. It's coming from you. Um, so what's out there? Well, what's out there are, are men and women. And so now, now our goal is not just to avoid those men and women. It's, it's learning to see them as the people they are. And at first it might mean averting our gaze, um, but eventually, hopefully, it's going to mean seeing through and seeing beyond just what they're wearing and what they're not wearing and actually seeing a human soul who has worth and value, just like you're describing in, in our groups. Yeah, I love that because... Um, one of the things you're touching on that I think love uh, dissipates is uh, the fear that can mm. often come in recovery because we, we let's be honest, when we get into recovery and really start to work on pursuing a life of integrity and pursuing sobriety, we discover in spades how weak we really are, right? We really start, I mean, it exposes every gap in our life, every, every weakness. And if we're being truly honest um, and admitting just how broken we are, it can be daunting to think, and, and, and God says, be holy as I am holy. You know, so yeah. there can be a lot of fear in that. And so I, I understand that fear can be such a powerful short-term motivator but it's a terrible long-term motivator. So I can, I can probably scare you bad enough, Josh, in this moment, telling you about all the consequences that if you make that stupid decision in, in an hour, 
that, you know, it's going to be terrible and you better not do that. Well, that fear could, may keep you, may not, may keep you from making that decision today. But that kind of energy, that kind of, that, that kind of motivation does not have a good long-term effect. Whereas love is, is drawing us into pursuing healthy relationships. And when we are giving of ourselves and we're building healthy relationships, I have, I have such a, uh, I have so much of a better motivation because of the love that I have received and the love that I can give than anything that fear could bring into my life. And we're told in the scriptures that perfect love casts out fear. So it's actually one of these things. And I tell guys this all the time. This is not so much a, uh, this is not so much a two-sided endeavor, meaning you need to, you need to be um, resisting temptation and pursuing love. It's like, okay, yeah, you need to resist temptation and pursue love. But I tell them if you actually just focus on pursuing what you are made for, by default, you'll be moving away from what you are not made for because these things are mutually exclusive. They're oil and water. You can't have, you know, um, love and lust literally mixing with one another. They're mutually exclusive. So if I'm pursuing love, I'm automatically moving away from lust. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what you're talking about is wonderful because it's starting to frame it up to where you can help, help people have a singular focus. And if they have that singular focus on, I'm made to be a great lover. And I have, my co-host loves to say it this way. He says, you were made to be a great lover, not a great luster. <laughs> and I love that. It's like, well, let's focus on that mission. And then by virtue of focusing on that, we'll be moving away from the other. But we've only got a couple minutes left here, Josh. And I'd love for you to just, anything that you would like to say to folks out there that are thinking, I, I, I want to make the shift. I, I want to try to be a better pursuer of love, what would be some things that you might encourage them to do as either next steps or just how, how you might want to encourage them? And then certainly we'd love for them to know about um, how they can learn about some of your resources and, and get in touch with y'all's ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there's so much, but I, I'd start with just this simple thing. I, and this might sound trite or cliche to, to those who are believers listening, but um, I don't think we can spend enough time meditating on the cross of Christ. And I think um, not, not in some ambiguous generic kind of way, but specifically as it relates to us. And so if I'm struggling with lust to spend time at the cross with my lust, if I'm struggling with feeling weak, then with my weakness, if I'm struggling um, with, with having daily devotional quiet times, like then with that. So being exactly as I am, you know, so, Jesus stands at the door and knocks and, and, you know, our tendency is to say, Oh, just a minute, just a second, just a second. Uh, you know, let me, and we kind of straighten up the room. And, and I think the invitation of, of the gospel is when Jesus stands at the door and knocks, as he is always doing for us, we open the door wherever he finds us in whatever condition he finds us. And we say, come in. And like brother Lawrence, we kind of, we, you know, with a non shaming perspective, we just say, you know, and, and thus I will always be except in, until you enter in and make a difference here. Um, and we do so at the, at the foot of the cross. I think that, that there is nourishment to our souls. And that's, I think it's one of the reasons I love communion. It's one of the reasons I, I love Good Friday and I love Easter for that, for those very reasons. So that's, that's one thing. As far as resources go, um, I'm a huge fan of, there's a, um, he's a, a Catholic writer named Christopher West. Mm-hmm. who Actually, has devoted uh, his life to teaching on um, 
John Paul II's what's called Theology of the Body, which has just made a huge difference for me. He's got a book um, called um, Fill These Hearts, which I think is a great primer to some of his teachings. And it gets into a lot of this stuff. And I just think it's a great meditation. I read it, the first time I read it, I read it through really, really quickly. And then um, the next time I read it through, I, I read it through very, very slowly meditatively. And that's a great resource for people yeah. in regards to this lust versus love thing. And then as far as our ministry goes, yeah, we'd love for you guys to check us out. Um, regenerationministries.org is our, our website. We've got articles, blogs, um, podcasts. Uh, we'll have more teaching resources on there. Uh, in the coming year, we'll have a couple of curriculums up there that people can work through either on their own or in small groups. And um, yeah, so we're, we're grateful to be doing what we're doing. Well, that's awesome. And we'll make sure that all that is in our show notes as well so that people can get access to those resources. But Josh, thanks so much for just thank your you. story, your life, your ministry, and what you guys are doing and for being on the program today. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. God yeah. bless you. Well, and listeners, we're always glad that you're with us and uh, we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.